the accidental engineer welcome all max of the accidental engineer here today we are joined by vlad Ruskucha. welcome vlad uh hi good to be here pleasure to have you uh for our audience that don't know about yourself uh can you mention a little bit about what you're doing at microsoft and your title there sure so i'm a principal software architect in the azure growth and analytics team and the reason that we're having you on the show is to hear a little bit about a book that you're authoring. So for our audience that are curious about this book, what is what is the title and a, what, a little bit about what, who is it intended for? Uh, sure. So uh, the book's title is Programming with Types, and it's intended for, I'd say, kind of junior mid-level engineers who want to improve their coding. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And... I know specifically there's certain areas of coding that you personally have firsthand experience with these subjects helping you improve your coding. Uh, you mentioned that in your role at Microsoft, uh, you've done a lot of uh, code review and these types of uh, feedback for junior and mid-level engineers. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you see in code review that Maybe having read this book, uh, you would not make these mistakes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say mistakes, right? It's more like, um, how can you write better code? How can you write code that uh, is more succinct, more um, easier to understand, more maintainable, um, you know, how can you leverage the type system to make sure certain classes of errors are impossible? I, I know that this is all, this can also be programming language specific since you've got uh, dynamic languages versus statically typed languages. Does this book still apply for software engineers who might be working with dynamically typed languages? Uh, probably not that much. So this book is more about statically typed languages where, you know, the compiler catches the issues instead of them showing up at runtime. Um, but, you know, even even for, for um, languages that uh, are dynamically typed, uh, you know, there is this trend now that they're adding kind of optional typing. Um, you know, Python recently introduced it. Uh, the book is actually, the, the code samples in the book are written in TypeScript, which is a language that adds typing on top of JavaScript. Um, that being said, uh, uh, the reader I have in mind is working with one of the, um, you know, common mainstream object-oriented languages. So something like Java or C Sharp or C++. So, um, TypeScript just has a neater syntax, that's why I'm using it, but it uh, anybody should understand it. It's kind of language agnostic. So your background, what types of languages have you worked with most? What do you feel most comfortable with? So uh, most comfortable, I would say C++ and C Sharp. Uh, I've been at Microsoft for 11 years now, so yeah, those are the two main main languages I've been working with. Are there any uh, program programming language trends that you've seen over the years that uh, make you believe strongly about uh, when uh, statically typed languages should be used? Uh, maybe in certain work contexts or 
for certain problem domain areas? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of statically typed languages. I, sh I think they should be used, uh, you know, as often as possible. We, uh, I worked in, in Office for many years and, you know, Office is a C++ code base that gets deployed to, to, to clients' uh, machines. So that is very important to, you know, prevent errors, make sure the product is stable and works well. Um, and as for trends, you know, one trend that's um, interesting to see is how various language features trickle down from, from more esoteric, you know, functional programming languages to the mainstream. So I remember in, uh, you know, when C++11 standard came around and the language supported lambdas and it was such a big deal, like you have lambdas in C++, but lambdas have been invented like decades ago, right? Uh, so, so this is kind of the trend that I, I've been seeing over the years, like stuff like um, first order functions and, uh, uh, you know, lambdas and closures make, make their way to, to more mainstream programming languages. Now, uh, monads is another big thing, which is kind of a very common, common pattern. And it, it's something that's uh, supported natively in languages like Haskell. Now this is making its way to more mainstream languages where, you know, people use the pattern, but there's not always a good way to, to capture it. In, there is no specific syntax for it, but uh, we will get there. Fair enough, fair enough. So for our audience that are curious about the table of contents of your book, uh, what is the uh, series of topics that you cover? Uh, sure, so so the book starts with, uh, with an introduction uh, on type system, it talks a bit about what static typing, what's the name, dynamic typing, what's uh, a weak and strong typing, um, defines a type system. Uh, then the, the second chapter talks about um, the, the basic primitive types that usually come out of the box with any language and some gotchas with them. So. Um, Things like uh, like numbers and strings, which uh, surprisingly have, uh, you know, there are things you need to be aware of. For example, numbers can overflow and what happens when they overflow. Or strings have different encodings, so you have to be careful how you process them. Um, talks about uh, arrays and, and uh, um, references and uh, things like that. Then the next chapter is about composition. So how do you put these primitive types together to um, have more complex types, basically? Um, the fourth chapter is about type safety. So it talks about um, typecasting, you know, how you, you can convert one type to another, which, uh, which casts are safe, which are unsafe. Um, then I have two, two chapters on function types, chapters five and six, uh, start with, uh, you know, what can you do if you can type functions and treat them like, uh, any other variable in, uh, um, in your code, um, starting from things like lambdas and map filter reduce the classic functional algorithms. And then, um, talking about generators and, uh, you know, asynchronous functions and how to how to program those. Um, then I have a couple of chapters on subtyping. Um, one of them talks about uh, uh, variants or so types that are co covariant, invariant, uh, 
uh, for readers that don't know uh, what that means, I guess you can check out the book. <laughs> um, then um, another chapter talks, uh, the second chapter talks about um, object-oriented programming, uh, interfaces and uh, inheritance and composition and mixings. Um, then I have two chapters on generics. One of them talks about generic data structures. Uh, so how you, you can abstract the layout of the data away from the content and how you traverse those data structures. Um, the other one is on generic algorithms and iterators, um, which is something that uh, C++, the C++ standard library does very well, where you have different categories of iterators and the more capabilities they have, the, the more um, powerful algorithms they enable. Um, and then the final chapter talks about higher kind of types, uh, functors, monads, and uh, um, talk a bit about stuff that's not covered in the book if readers are curious and want to learn more things like dependent types and linear types. Uh, and I give pointers to a bunch of other books and languages to, to check out. So yeah, that's, that's about it. That, that is a ton of subject matter uh, to cover in one book. Uh, so I, as you as you were listing off some of this stuff, I have to admit I don't know all of it. <laughs> One of the things I'm always curious about with uh, computer science and programming language type of textbooks, like or or just uh, general interest books like you're authoring, is when it comes to authoring the book, was all of this stuff that you uh, knew in your head that you're putting to paper. Or is some of these topics things that you had to research more deeply than you knew at the time you you set out to write them? Well, uh, I, I'd say most of this was in my head, but I definitely had to do a bunch of research just to make sure that, uh, you know, what's in my head is, is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is stuff I've been reading about for 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 many years. It's kind of was my was my passion for the past few years. I I got pretty deep into it and uh, um, learned a lot. Actually, that's the kind of the reason I I, I wrote this book was that uh, a lot of the the literature on this is uh, pretty esoteric, like lots of math, lots of uh, it, it's not uh, they're not easy reads. Um, and as I was, I was learning that, uh, you know, I realized there's a lot of stuff I can apply to my day job, to, to my code. Um, and uh, as I'm doing code reviews and mentoring more junior engineers, I, I would have loved to, to tell them, you know, hey, read this book. You'll you learn so much from it. But uh, some of the books are just too... Um, too deep, like I, I don't think uh, they, they would have read them. So this was the, the idea with my book to, to present this in a more informal matter, like more practical applications and less theory, uh, almost no math. True, true. I know that uh, outside of authoring a book, outside of your full-time job, uh, working at Microsoft and on Azure, uh, you also have some open source involvement uh, I know there's at least one specific framework that I know about that you authored for static site generation, uh, which is a topic that is funny enough, actually of interest to me. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure about the rest of our audience, but uh, for example, the accidentalengineer.com, the website is built using a static site generator, although not the one that you authored. The one you authored is called Tinkerer, 
T-I-N-K-E-R-E-R. Uh, and it's been around for quite a few years. I don't know how much you actively uh, develop it because obviously stack site generators are not uh, rocket science. And so you don't need to give it that much love after a certain point. But I'm curious to hear uh, your story of uh, open sourcing that project and uh, who all you've come into contact with having open sourced it. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, uh, you you asked, you know, be, beyond work, uh, um, you know, I, I kind of, I code for fun. Like uh, for me, it's a, it's a relaxing activity to, to put stuff together. So I just throw things on my GitHub. And for this particular project, this is pretty old now. I'm trying to count back how many years old it is. But at that time I was learning Python. And usually when you learn a language, you know, a good approach is to go and build something with it. Um, and um, I, I think at that point, like um, um, Ruby had a lot of, of uh, static site generation frameworks like Octopress and Jekyll and, um, and all of those, and I wanted to do something in Python just because uh, I, I, I was learning Python, and uh, I uh, I created this. It's based on Sphinx, so Sphinx is the uh, it's a framework that uh, a Python framework that's used to to generate documentation. So most of most of Python documentation is built using Sphinx. Uh, it uh, it it has a restructured text as the markup language, which is uh, Kind of like Markdown, I think it has a bit more capabilities. Um, and yeah, I just uh, build this on top of Sphinx. Um, and yeah, people seem to like it. I got a bunch of stars, you know, um, had some people contributing. Um, that being said, uh, I haven't actively maintained it. I use it for my blog, so I'm, I'm still running it, but I'm not building new features. And I believe the latest Sphinx version actually broke some stuff, which I didn't get around to fix. So <laughs> if you want to check it out, snap to an older Sphinx version, <laughs> because uh, latest might, might not work. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I agree that that's a really smart way to uh, approach learning a new language is to maybe author uh, a relatively simple tool uh, in the language that you're trying to learn. Uh, who knows, maybe, <laughs> maybe the greater community will find it and show it some love and even make your, your project compatible with newer versions of Sphinx. <laughs> uh, I, I think related to the topic of outside of work projects like learning new languages, uh, have there been any outside of work projects that in your career have led to uh, maybe smarter decisions at work? Like did, did learning Python lead to you trying to use Python at work where you hadn't before? Or uh, how, how does the stuff you do outside of work help you at work? It might sound obvious, but I think our audience might be curious. Yeah, I mean, uh, learning always helps, right? And uh, e even the stuff I was mentioning earlier, like uh, reading all the stuff about type systems, right? And, uh, um, you know, uh, learning languages like Haskell and Rust and, you know, understanding how, how they work. Uh, it does help because even even if the language you use in your day job is not the same, you know there are ideas that apply. There is a bunch of stuff you can take from any um, any programming language. Uh, 
Uh, I'm kind of a language geek, so I <laughs> spend a lot of time uh, uh, playing with with various languages. But the, the truth is that you know, the the more the more languages you know, the easier it is to to pick one up because a lot of stuff it's kind of standard and common. Um, and then the interesting bits are the ones that are different. And those, even if the language you're using uh, at work doesn't have, you know, syntax support for it, at least the, the idea you can represent somehow. So, yeah, I'd say anything that, that you do in your spare times in terms of reading, coding, learning, uh, it's, uh, it's applicable to, to, to work. Got it. And I think one, one last concept I think would be funny to cover, uh, maybe not funny, but educational to hear about is uh, you mentioned one of the concepts, uh, I think you mentioned covering it in your book, but about monads. And I was curious if you had to describe what a monad is to your grandmother, what is a monad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's this saying that uh, once you understand a monad, you lose the ability to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that's not the case. But, uh, you know, I actually spend, spend like a bunch of pages in my books with drawings and code examples trying to explain it. So I'm not sure I would do it justice to... Um, do it in, in one minute uh, on air. So. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, that, that's a great reason why uh, people should check out your book, is that some of these concepts are, are harder to educate about via you know, audio or video, uh, at least not animated. Yeah, I mean, we might need animations, we might need uh, a PowerPoint, uh, we might need you know, live coding of some kind to be able to educate about some of these concepts that you cover in your book. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for, for having me. It's awesome to have you. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.